1998, I founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. I did it because I had a few talented friends who needed a place to take their art to the next level. And because I knew there had to be more voices out there waiting to be heard. And because I wanted to go to an open mic where at least two out of three poems didn't suck. My name is Tracy Smith, and this is the KZU Slamcast. This is Slam Later, like the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one limited moment to never cross I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. This week's KZU Slamcast is part two of a show that was recorded on September 25th of 2001. The features are Maria McRae and Dawn Saylor, and I talked enough about it last week. So this week, I'm going to shut the hell up. Enjoy the show. All right, so I'm going to do a totally different poem, and this is for you guys. I'm spending my time gazing into the faces of strangers waiting for the story to unfold. They serve up their history in glances and postures, pacing around, taking baby steps, trying not to be seen, trying not to notice that the wind is blowing in opposite directions tonight clashing trails across mountaintops and parking lots, stripping the warmth from our bones while we chase sky horses racing against midnight. We're trying to catch a glimpse of God's people, trying to sneak a peek at the celestial orgy behind the curtain. We're looking for an explanation for this everyday world that dissolves mystery with the slightest touch. And the tale starts to spin, spiraling inward, and I'm going somewhere, nowhere, fast, trying to forget the faces of strangers grinning absent out the plastic window to the world, believing in neon daylights and living for odds placed on the bookshelves of our souls between Rapunzel and the mini Bibles they give out at revival meetings, salvation in a hundred pages or less, hallelujah, let's two-step back in time to an old Peter, Paul, and Mary tune because we all lose our innocence along the way. It's how we remember it that matters. Because sometimes I feel like the black and the white of an old James Dean poster walking down Broadway, frozen in the rain forever. When there is blue camouflage across my eyes and I am awaiting the peace that passes all understanding that just flew by on the shoulder, leaving me trapped in a traffic jam three hours from home when vacation is weirder than fiction and the world's words ring crystalline streaks across our tears. It's easy to miss everyone else teetering an inch from the edge, searching for the box of clues that leads us out of confusion's fog. When things fall apart, rocking me to my knees. I am tired of trying to find God in the empty spaces because the ghosts of my failures are dancing through haunted hallways, tripping over the building blocks of reality, and I'm caught in yesterday's reality, deconstructing my patterns while the world cries turpentine tears, dissolving the still frame of memory. I've been left lost with only the smile of a broken woman to guide me. Her mirrored reflection portraying misdirection as her silver-tipped tongue led me astray. I followed naive in the shadow of potential, forsaking the possibilities inside of me. And upon waking, 
found realization waiting for the revelation that we are all the faces of strangers gazing into stranger faces. And we're all waiting for someone to save us. See, you all are, um, I'm going to be a ham, an oinker, because you all don't get to hear me often. Okay. Um, this is titled, Let's Talk. Let's talk. Let's talk, you and I. Let's let our hair down. Our hair, our kinky, straight, cornrowed, afroed, wigged, weaved, waved, skunked, curly, balding, black, blonde, brunette, red, dread, flowing tresses. No lie, permanent messes. Fried, died, laid to the side, hair down. And comb out or untangle our differences. Let's shake hands on it. Our hands are grasping, groping, penny-pinching, sweating, stroking, clinging, clenching, opposing thumb appendaged, palpable prayer pleading, talk to the back of hands and smooth out or sculpt an end to fisticuffs. Let's put our heads and noses together. Our noses, our wide, snotty, pug, aquiline, thin, crooked, ski slope, Duranty-esque, condescending, plastic, surgery smellers together and olfactorially sniff out and ponder problems with our proboscisa. I say, you owe me. You say the slave owners are dead. I say their descendants live and must accept their whole inheritance, credits, and debits. You say we are all human. I say we are not all humane. That upon our minds, bodies, and psyches, there should be a bloody, blasphemous, biologically imposed stain. I say my idea, idea of beauty is not me, and it is your fucking fault. You say nothing. You don't have to. You just are. You say you don't understand my need to get my groove on, my anger, impatience, and especially my language. So you do the community castrating by incarcerating, bang. I say, suckle my young as I have yours. Do not turn away with, with clutching your purse, with reticent, restored, residual memory, fear. You say the most extreme height of living is to radiate love in waves from your being. I say the singular soul-saving assurance that love will find you is the continual giving of the same. Let's say we learn love, you and I, and find out how kindred we are, we who walk around on the same sphere, breathing the same air, sharing the same destiny that red button fucking p 
relinquished destiny. A destiny survivable only with love. So let's talk, live, live, and love. You and I, let's talk. I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way. And who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down. Down in the river too. Pray, because I'm asking God to bless me with a tongue that speaks immortal words. Not like the God-fearing religious fanatics who raised me, right? Who taught me to abide the pain and intolerance of a father whose favorite conversation involved his fist. They explained that honesty was synonymous with accusation. And you can't get a fair trial here, either. Who showed me the way to get to heaven was to ignore the voices of the children. And while at devotions at camp, we were learning about turning the cheek, and I asked why my father hit me. My answer hid behind a flag of salvation and forgiveness I understood, turning away and closing eyes. When my best friend at 14, a small town redneck girl family didn't give a damn, church expected less, was left with no direction, no support. She was an unwanted, I mean unwed mother, and that's the way the family is, darling. But blind to the sins of the father, we are doomed to repeat that I'm begging God to bless me with a tongue that speaks immortal words because I want to take you to the point of meditation where the spirit soars free where the poor woman gives her last dime, where Boaz loves Ruth, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, where suffer the little children to come unto me, and I will tell them that I have misled myself on two hits and a trip to the moon. I have been on a carnival ride trapped in a steel cage trying to escape words that have flown from canyons of anger, hurting those I love the most. I have sold the fantasy of me for a dollar until my heart cried the tears my eyes wouldn't shed. And I will sit quietly and breathe deeply and speak of bonfires and kissing synchronicity under thunder and moonlight, of drinking with the woman I love to help her forget the pain of loss, of passion that has lasted years and love that left with the season. I will tell them about the time that I found Jesus on a dead lot, and all he had to offer was all I needed. Because it's the hand-flip, sand-slip of reality where we are the moment we realize the purest love resides in the hearts of the ones who make us want to look away. And these are our sacred duty 
to love with no end. And so I'm asking God to bless me with a tongue that speaks immortal words. I um, have some biological kids uh, for my son, my 27-year-old who just celebrated his first year wedding anniversary, for my 22-year-old daughter who just got her uh, master's in business. She's living in Decatur with her husband, and for my 19-year-old son. Uh, this is titled, I Watch and Pass It On, and I think every child should be sung to at bedtime in, in its original language. Guten Abend, good Nacht, wohn Inglein bewacht, der Zeigen im Traums, der Kriegskindleines Baum, schlaf nun selig und süß, schau im Traums Paradies, schlaf nun selig und süß, Shall in Trump's paradise. I proudly watch you as you grow and berate biology and nature and drown in worries. Time goes too, too fast. An avalanche of vivid mental picture flurries of his first tooth, her first bra, his first questions about girls and sex. My little ones. Not so little anymore, asking questions that often perplex. I wish, I wish I could rewind you like the VCR. Back, back to bygone pamper diaper days. I know what I recall as a memory enclosed within a rose-hued honeyed halcyon haze. I also know my wish is selfish love, a love that in truth can smother. I have no other viable excuse. I am, after all, just another worried mother. Why do some parents want to reduce their offspring to two-dimensional replicas of their worst selves? He said, you're going to be just like that no-good parent of yours. Pass it on. And why do some parents think they have ownership of their offspring, she said, I brought you into this world. I take you out. Pass it on. I think, I hope, I pray, I wish for all the children. You did a good job. Pass it on. I'm so proud of you. Pass it on. I love you. Give me a hug. Pass that on. I think, I hope, I pray, I say, and do these often enough. I worry that I don't. My programming has not been the most positive reinforcement type of thing. See, I remember, how could you be so goddamn stupid? Pass it on. You'll never amount to anything. Pass it on. I wish you had never been born. Pass it on and 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 on ad nauseum. I love you, Mama. 
All right, take two. My grandmother used to jitterbug in the 40s. Started brawls over women with my grandfather, worked in a pickle factory and rolled her own cigarettes. She tells me about the trip, uh, trips to find the perfect steak on the back of a 1942 Harley, the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, Graceland, across the U.S. and back again. And one day up in the UP, my grandfather turned around, decided not to drive any farther, put the car in reverse and headed home. No explanation, end of vacation, no more adventures, said goodbye to road trips and gave in to the propaganda of the 50s nuclear family with a brand new car and a yard, a tree, and a dog. But the dog was a black cat named Salem. And the shiny Grand Prix my grandfather brought home when I was eight outlived him. The tree I spent my childhood climbing died. They ripped it out of the earth. I showed up one day and it was gone. Like their lives that disappeared somewhere between Charlevoix and the Canadian border that day with my uncles and my mother folded into the neat little box that held the precious moments forever frozen in black and white photo albums labeled like specimens. Yellowstone, 1949, my grandmother, a striking but primly dressed woman, clutching her handbag, protecting it from the bears, I suppose. But I remember her, a tiny stick of a woman, smoking Salem 100s and drinking tab. My grandfather yelling from the overstuffed brown corduroy easy chair, is that kid here again? I learned an appreciation for Kurt Gibson and had my first taste of beer behind my mother's back. I was five and thought it was terrible, but it was our secret. And since he died, I feel so disconnected when I look around on Thanksgiving and my family is 600 miles away and I can't even seem to find leftovers so it's PBJ and popcorn instead of my family Irish to the end men gathered drunkenly around the bar women sitting chatting and drinking coffee in the dining room and I miss the smell of Lucky Strikes Budweiser and Old Spice because there was a bond with the only man who took the time and I realize it doesn't matter that I don't know what happened after that day in the North Woods. He rode a Harley, taught me to wink, and when he looked at me, he must have seen a little bit of a 20-something couple dancing drunk in a hometown bar living life, knowing that I'd give in one day too. And I wonder if it made him sad, silently cheering for the odd grandchild out not to find a boy, settle down, buy a house, and stock in GM praying that I won't turn around, that I always wake up in Graceland. Trace, Don, what's our time like? Good. I'm going to do two more, and they're, they're very, they oscillate. Um, this because uh, I felt a need to do this after I heard this poem uh, earlier. I won't get personal, but um, maybe somebody will get it. I'm going to do these two, and they have nothing to do with each other. Uh, this first piece is titled, I Dream a World, and it's subtitled Pussy Power. This poem does not apply to any evolved males that happen to be here tonight. <laughs> I dream a world. Naked, naked of discriminations, 
Discriminations exacted on excesses of those bearing chromosomes X axis. So sorry you are weary of hear ye, we speak. It is our time, the time of the so-called inheriting meek. Too long are minds and bodies beaten down. Listen, you'll hear the shattering glass ceiling sound. Too long our gray matter has oozed from its ill use. Too long has our gray matter splattered from the sound of stupid sexist chatter, pleasing the palates of so-called problem solvers, when in reality you are life lust dissolvers. Yes, we see your slippage into sedimented, semen-soaked, slam-dunk senility. And all the while, your inner couch potato child fantasizes Barbie banging virility. I dream a world swollen, fetally swollen with gorged gonads. Gorged gonads, gluteus maximus, stretch marks, male gone mad. Stretch marks. Marking and marring the former flat line of seer-suckered penis power suits. How divine. Yeah. Child bear this. Dreaming of men taking pregnancy tests when their period is missed. So spare me the indignity of half a country preaching to me about what the fuck I should do with my body. Hello, you who kill abortion doctors. It's still murder. You just aborted them in their 90th trimester. I dream a world feverishly fornicating. Fornicating and formulating ways of female freedom making. Omnipotence ovaries. Overt in confident sexuality, but ah, ah. The truth is a cankerous, rusting ugliness charted in raping, pillaging, warmonger male mentality history. I dream a world of inverted tampons covering the male member. Seven out of every 28 days, our PMS replaced by PPMS ways. That stands for pre-penis menstrual syndrome. We name Evil in English, manipulate, maneuver, manslaughter, mannequin, mandate, maneuver, manslaughter, manure. <laughs> Dreaming of a world where brute force. Apologies to our listeners, but back in 2001, we were recording directly onto compact discs which have a finite amount of space. So in the 10, 15 seconds it took me to take one disc out, put a fresh one in, we lost the end of this poem and a little bit of the beginning of the next one. Sorry about that. It's a bummer, but shit happens. She was a cabaret singer, and three months before she died, Billie Holiday lived with Maya and her son, and this is from that period. After my first song, I spoke directly to the audience, 
Ladies and gentlemen, it is against the policy of the club to mention any celebrity who might be in the audience for fear that an unseen person might be missed. But tonight I am violating that custom. I think everyone will be excited to know that Miss Billie Holiday is present. The crowd responded to my announcement with an approving roar. People stood cheering, looking around the room for Billie. She looked straight at me. Then picking up Pepe, that was her little toy poodle. Picking up Pepe, stood up, turned to the audience, and bowed her head two or three times as if she was agreeing with them. She sat down without smiling. My next song was an old blues, which I began singing with only a bass accompaniment. The music was a dirge and the lyrics tragic. I had my eyes closed when suddenly, like a large glass shattering, Billy's voice penetrated the song. Stop that bitch! Stop it, goddammit! She sounds just like my goddamn mama. I stopped and opened my eyes and saw Billy pick up Pepe and head through the crowd toward the women's toilet. I thanked the audience, asked the orchestra leader to continue playing and headed for the women's lavatory. Twice in one night, the woman had upset me. Well, she wasn't gonna get away with it. She was gonna learn that a goddamn square could defend herself. I had my hand on the knob when the door burst open and a very pale middle-aged white woman tore past me. I entered and found Billy examining herself in the mirror. I began, Billy, let me tell you something. She was looking at her reflection, but she said, oh, that's all right about the song. You can't help how you sound. Most colored women sound alike, lest they trying to sound white. She started laughing. Did you see that old bitch tear it out of here? Uh, I bumped into a woman just now. That was her. She was sitting on the toilet. And when I opened the door, she screamed at me, shut that door. I screamed right back, bitch. If you wanted it shut, you should have locked the goddamn thing. Then she comes out of there and asks me, ain't you Billy Holiday? I told her, bitch, I didn't ask you what your name was. <laughs> you should have seen her fly. She laughed again. Grinning into the mirror, I said, Billy, you know that woman might have been an old time fan of yours? She turned, holding Pepe and her purse and her jacket. You know when you introduced me? You know how those crackers stood up? You know why they were standing up? I said, they were honoring her. She said, shit, you don't know a goddamn thing. They were all standing up, looking around. They wanted to see a nigga who had been in jail for dope. I'm going to tell you one more thing. You want to be famous, don't you? I admitted I did. You going to be famous, but it won't be for singing. Now, now, wait. <laughs> you already know you can't sing all that good. But you're going to be famous. Well, you better start asking yourself right now. When I get famous, who can I trust? All crackers is bad and niggas ain't much better. Just take care of your son. Keep on telling him he's the smartest thing God made. Maybe he'll grow up without hating you. Remember, Billie Holiday told you, you can't get too high for somebody to bring your ass down. Billie sang, the truth of blooming blood blossoms, the bottomless search seek 
for love. The pitiless people pillaging, plagiarizing, picking apart. Billy sang the glory of pain, oppression century stain. The places love goes, grows, withers. The familiarity of family, friends, and funds. Billy sang and we stared into the too bright glare of a life burning both ends at her short-lived resilience at outdistancing, addicting, grime, crime. Billy sang and so-called divas bristled at the riffs, lilt, life in her voice. No female fluff, but fatal four-sided finesse. Billy sang and Maya quoted her clairvoyance as a warbling wonder, as a woman warrior with wit, while witnessing life in all its charismatic, magnetic, tragic, magic. Billy sang and we belatedly do honor to her. Billy sang so that all the badoos can. Money! Not in any particular order. Andrew, Matt, Chris, Dan, KK, Sharon, and Drac. Those are your poets. <laughs> Applaud them now. <laughs> that was lame, but I'll forgive you. We'll keep right on rolling. Someone give me a number between one and eight. Seven. Uncle Drac, you are first. Now applaud. Applaud a lot. Did I do that thing again? Do we need a, do we need a sacrificial? Do we need one? Do we need one? Okay. We need, we need a sacrificial. I'm sorry. Even, even judges who know what they're doing need a sacrificial. And I forgot. Uh, we've, we've changed it like five times. Who's, is Todd going to be here? Todd, are you ready? Are you sure? Okay. Whoa, Trace is tall. I'm going to break the first rule of slam, which is never to introduce a poem, but I'm going to because I want to read this poem for Mama and for Don because they're heroes of mine. And this poem I've done way too much, but Mama's never heard it. And Chuck hates this poem, so he's going to give me a low score, and that's okay because I'm a sacrificial poet. <laughs> Mark Jones had my brother pinned to the ground. I stood by while he pummeled him in the face, me whispering, enough, that's enough. Later, retelling the story to stunned friends, I had struggled to break free, arms held behind my back, but I was only held by a threat. You want to be next, huh? I stood by while he kicked my brother in the stomach. 
My brother started lifting weights because I stood by while he smashed his nose, cut his lip, cracked his ribs, bruised his kidneys. Television reporters interviewing a woman after saving four children, strangers in a burning house she carried down one by one through blazing door frames, or man after saving drowning dog from flood rage rivers always hear the same words from these heroes. I didn't think. I just did what I had to do. And I wonder if I would do the same. Would I be one of the nameless onlookers measuring flames, heat versus thickness of skin or rivers velocity versus strength of arms and legs? And by then, the hero has already acted. Emerging blackened and coughing from smoke, carrying the last child in her arms or dripping and exhausted, lifting a golden retriever to dry ground. And I, and a room full of angry laughing heads, lips bare to show gnashing teeth, spitting acid slander, struggling to speak behind tightly pressed lips, am reminded of Peter denying Christ once. He is not my brother. Twice, that is not my brother. Thrice, that is not my brother. And I, at a family reunion in northern Michigan, listening to my uncle proudly sharing his newest repertoire of Korean shopkeeper jokes, me not laughing but silent, imagine a man on the side of a lonely Jasper Road, watching the corpse of James Bird Jr. dragging in the gravel, bouncing in the air, clothes and skin and limbs shredded to pieces behind a pickup truck, the man whispering to himself, that ain't my brother, that ain't my brother. And I at a smoky college bar, drinking a beer in private, hearing the pack of Alpha Omegas ramble off their drunken litany of ass pirate, butt surfer, fudge packer, bone licker. Imagine a reluctant man in a darkly lit Laramie bar, wanting to warn Matthew Shepard that the pretenders he was leaving with had nothing but blood on their brains, saying nothing as Matthew walks out the door to a wooden fence and a pistol whipping. And back in the bar, the man convinces the bottom of a shot glass, that was not my brother. That was not my brother. I always wanted to be a hero. Always wanted to do the right thing, but always thinking too much, shutting my mouth instead. Scars on my tongue read like a thesaurus of all the words I never said. But no more. That's enough. The next time I see a father cuff his child, I will call him out. The next time I hear the bangs and crashes, the ensuing weeping from the upstairs apartment, I will pound on that door. The next time I see a cross burning, I will tear it down. The next time I'm called to act, I will not think. I will not shrink. I will do what must be done. Okay, so I did this piece like last week, but I couldn't stay for the slam, so I'm just gonna slam it this week. Um, my only regret in writing it is that the woman that I wrote it to and about will probably never hear it. Okay, it goes, uh, can you imagine dying knowing that you're denying your deft ears to your child's crying caused its mental demise? Complex upon complex behind a normalcy disguise. Imagine one you were to nourish and to cherish, to mold and to shape, mend every nick and scrape, feeling confused and trapped with no chance of escape because they came to you, told you what was going on, and you were too sick or too selfish or both to see what should be done through. 
There is your child, looking almost ashamed, dull-eyed, meek, and mild, telling you of arms that should hold him, attached to hands that have touched him in a way he knows they're not supposed to, and all you can do is think of you? Lonely, pathetic, selfish, codependent you whose biggest fear is being alone, so you consider keeping the Chester fuck around until what, your boy is grown? You feeble little flakes make me sick staying with a molesting prick because you just can't imagine life without the dick. Don't you see the change behind your child's stare? I just want to slap you, make you come too. Maybe then you'd see who's really feeling lonely, afraid of their own homes, dreading daddy or stepdaddy or Mr. Livin' boyfriend, your own child who's going to end up resenting you too in the end because it was you who had the power to stop this, to grant your child's bleak wish before their little heart got so tarred it wouldn't ever be able to untwist, and you sick little bitch, you didn't. Thank you. I could wish for momentum, but the world is handing me speed bumps. And I want speed, that childlike sense that exciting stuff is happening in a world centered on me. But the stasis and baggage arrive by the concentration camp train load. And I can barely remember street racing and Volkswagens while we wished for 800 horse McLarens. Once, I remember a party with a pale-skinned vamp staring at my crotch and noticing that she was and her noticing that I'd noticed and smiling at me the way a lioness smiles at an antelope. Back then, frustration was still a new experience. That night went on for a period exactly equal to years of the rest of my life. I'm violated by schedules. I'm wishing for slack like some slacker heaven. I barely remember waking up rested, a clear west coast sun warm on me, rested though my joints ached from sleeping under a night frosted by ocean fog. My salty teacher of the night, sifting font of wisdom. I know I was sober as the fucker that builds nuclear weapons fuses, and I saw the hang glider wings appear out of yellow-lit midnight ocean fog, and the <laughs> and the guy beneath resolved as the fog slipped away, looking down, taking his bearings, I assume, then a few tight figure eights into the Mill Valley thermals and back into fog at midnight, conjured into invisibility. I went to a bar and shared what I'd seen and learned the lesson that you will be mistaken for the madmen you describe. Man, you're crazy. And it didn't matter that the real crazy fucker was hang gliding down the rocky mountainous fog-shrouded coast of Northern California at midnight. But he wasn't crazy. He had momentum. He had speed, living in the child's world. The universe centered on his life, his excitement. And if I had that momentum, I would relinquish it before. No threat, no dangerous agency of man or nature. I would cling to it like any sane kid clings to childhood where nobody has yet convinced that child that they could not become an owl and dive through the moist, gray, moving softness, magically missing the hard elbows of redwood. And the redwoods are distant now, the land flat, and the sky is a smaller canvas painted by a far better artist. In thick and varied strokes, sanguine bricks below the Prussian blue clouds scape of home. 
So where is it hiding, the youth I spent here? Show me at least each tiny chrysalis where adulthood hatched in its stages, the grave of my innocence, and I will raise it like a necromancer of joy, a walking, laughing demon, frightening the children and the minister's wives with the awful truth from beneath the ground. Be my partner for a time. Help me hunt down momentum and suck every last bit of speed out of it. The lighter, the better. I'm ready to dance my life to death. This is for a couple of ladies I apparently met on the Isle of Crete as the child of a nobleman. Just once, I'd like you to see me alone in a room with a guitar and an amp as loud as the devil and clean as the Lord. And I'm playing this riff like a thunderclap hard and I love it and I need it and I keep fucking it up. And I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once and it hurts like a python wrapped around my forearm and it hurts like wire whips tearing in my fingertips and I love it and I need it and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once I'd like you to see me alone in a room with a guitar and an amp as loud as the devil and clean as the Lord and I'm playing this riff like a thunderclap hard and I love it like a thunderclap hard and I love it and I need it and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once and it hurts like a python wrapped around my forearm and it hurts like wire whips tearing at my fingertips and I love it and I need it and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once I'd like you to see me alone in a room with a guitar and an amp as loud as the devil and clean as the Lord and I'm playing this riff like a thunderclap hard and I love it like a thunderclap hard and I love it like a thunderclap hard and I love it and I need it and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once and it hurts like a python wrapped around my forearm and it hurts like wire whips tearing at my fingertips and I love it and I need it and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. I'd like you to see me alone in a room with a woman and a problem. As dark as midnight and clear as this song and I'm trying to help like a matador tries and I love her and I need her and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once and it hurts like a daydream running through my memory and it hurts like my vanity pulls me towards insanity and I love her and I need her and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once.
boy, after that. <laughs> so as I stand here before you, you wait my words of intellect. And I say, so kind of you to let me in. So kind of you to trust my pen, to squeeze out onto paper what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. So I guess I'll try to squeeze out from this paper what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And if you really, really knew what I was thinking and what I was feeling, <laughs> I don't think you'd want me to squeeze out that paper anymore. <laughs> so let me say that if it wasn't my first time before you, I think I would be braver. I think I could allow this not to be just an introduction of me and my thoughts to you. So let me say that this isn't my first time and that hmm, maybe you just didn't notice me before. <laughs> so lots of things confuse me. So many things confuse me about life and how you meet people and how you re-meet people. Because I know I've never been here before. But you are familiar to me and I know I'm familiar to you. Is that what they call deja vu? <laughs> So perhaps it was another time and space, maybe another dimension. In the midst of my confusion, that's okay. So I thank you, my friends, for welcoming me back home to this place. Thanks. You won't have to keep hearing this poem. But until that point, Some of you know this one, okay. Just smile at me a while as you become stigma to my style and we combine and entwine in my mind till I'm blind. In hindsight, perhaps we should wait, letting the anticipation of our combination abate to churn in the realm of my fascination as I learn to burn and yearn in serene contemplation. Little out green for satiation and a dream of our connection. Please pardon my interjection, but I'm afraid I neglected to mention the perfection of your lips, your hips giving credence to the theory of natural selection, and my footing slips. When I consider you may be looking in my direction as my temperature rises like a convection oven, I hear the inflection of your voice hover in front of a confection. Your sweet, dark, sensuous mouth before you pour those words into the porches of mine ear and I fear an infection of love. Preceding rejection laying sanctions against my heart's insurrection. I know there must be some way to fix this election as I seek the sensation of the ebony incantation that is you. One invitation to taste the exhalation of a word on the tip of your tongue, lyrically sung in syncopated oscillation against the rhythmic palpitations of my heart. I start when brought back from the revelation and elation. One glance at a poster child for procreation inspires, citing all my desires to sire a nation with you, moving to the improvisation of a jazz solo, smooth and soulful with an angel. But I won't let my head fill with crazy motion notions till I've read all your motions. So I tread wisely as you smile nicely. I refuse to take lightly a beauty that could blind the Isleys. As I keep hearing your footsteps, baby, in the dark, in the dark. I keep hearing your footsteps, baby, in the dark, in the dark. And they spark a fire in me, lady. 
So don't change, don't change a thing. It is you who makes the caged birds sing, and Maya Angelou's got a lot of work to do if she can't see that you're a woman phenomenally. The epitome of woman in my mind, girl, you... Fine, you thought I'd say it? <laughs> Forget it. I don't deal in cliches when the object of my affection gets my attention. My only intention is to achieve the indefinite suspension of time as I climb with my rhyme to the top of your divine summit, seeking rest and comfort in every facet that is you. Thank you. This is called um, Meeting the Man or Song for James Baldwin. My life goes on in endless song Above earth's lamentation I hear the real though far off hymn That hails a new creation Above the tumult and the strife I hear the music ringing it sounds an echo in my soul how can i keep from singing i was 17 and his words took me to places i had never been i ate them up like french bread and blue cheese and imbibed them like a fine red bordeaux i was drunk with life living a fire next time gave me the hope, the future I was looking for in this time when the doomsday clock ticked one more minute towards midnight. I would see him frequently walking across campus and I found that I could only stare, dumbstruck, at this brilliant apparition that took on a man's form. Shyly, I'd watch him ambling down the street, having he, uh, hearing his swiftly lifting gait vibrating harmoniously on concrete. Out of the corner of my eye, I'd catch a glimpse of a gaily patterned poncho twisting and turning about its wearer's jaunty pace. But sometimes I'd catch sight of him sitting composedly alone at a small sidewalk cafe. Then there he was energetically still, his pen poised over yellow paper as his other hand toyed absently with his coffee cup. Sometimes he'd catch my curious stare, pull himself from his elsewhere thoughts to treat me with a wide open smile, knowing that I knew and saw both something and nothing. I wanted to thank him for being my whirlwind guru, a literary one, touching me all none with his mercurial intelligence and piercingly bright quicksilver eyes that cut clear through you like a wintry noonday sun penetrating an uncurtained window pane exposing all and nothing simultaneously. But I just couldn't find the words. Thank you. No cutting in.
The lights blink in a syncopated beat as she waltzes with the reaper for two weeks straight. Flashing monitors follow the footsteps of their delirious dance while sweat pours from an ice-cold brow. Machine gun synapses fire tracers at the shattered lens of her blinded mind's eyes. Tubes pump life in and pump death out and pump life in and pump death out in quantities almost too small to really matter. The lights blink to a syncopated beat as she waltzes with the reaper for a two-week rendezvous, and he whispers, come with me. Monitors take up a frenzied frequency as her body resists the urge of her soul to give in to his sweet enticements of rest and peace. Doctors demand to cut in on their dance, declaring that device after device after device will improve her comatose condition. Parents pray while priests prattle and rattle rosaries, then drip a single drop of the blood of Christ on chapped and chafed lips. Waiting room couches, crowded with confusion and concern, all waiting their turn to watch the waltz unfold. The lights blink to that syncopated beat as she waltzes with the reaper for a day-long moment more. A tear-streaked mother pulls pills from her purse, tossing them trashward as a frightened and frustrated father falls fetal to the floor, screaming, Damn, your devices stop stepping in! Doctors demand to cut in again and again and again, cut into her body, cut into her mind, only to find that the reaper has taken all of her yesterdays and tomorrows, leaving her forever in the here and now, in the here and now, in the here and now. She would have been safer playing with bullets and bombs than to accept the invitation to the Dexatrim dance that turned her mind into an empty dance floor. The same song playing, the same song playing, the same song playing over and over again. No cutting in allowed. got to break the ice and it might as well be me. I mean, I'm used to being a hostess. It's part of my husband's work and it's always difficult when a group of new friends meet together for the first time to get acquainted. So I'm perfectly prepared to start the ball rolling. I mean, I, I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here or what I'm doing here or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy myself and I'm very intrigued and oh my, this soup's delicious, isn't it? 